All right. Well, we are continuing our series on the Ten Commandments this week, like we've been doing. Last week, we were looking at the Fifth Commandment, honor your father and mother, and we spent two weeks on that. And now we're transitioning today into the commandment that comes after the Fifth Commandment, which is the Sixth Commandment. And you can find that in Exodus chapter 20. It was there. It took you a while, but there you got it. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse uh, 13 is where we find the sixth commandment. Now, this is a pretty weighty commandment because there's a lot of words. And here it is. You shall not murder. It's a tough one to memorize. But that's what we got right there, right? Four words in English, or two words in Hebrew, if you were looking at it in the original language. So it's a very, very short commandment in terms of the number of words. Easy to memorize, easy to say, you shall not murder. But there's a lot more to this commandment than what it may seem on the surface. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 21 is what I want to look at here. The tradition of Judaism before Jesus was on earth put a great deal of emphasis on the commandments, the Ten Commandments, and for good reason. In fact, they put a great deal of emphasis on all of the commandments in the Old Testament. But here, we see in Matthew 5, 21 and on, Jesus is going to point out something that the Pharisees and the Jews as a whole missed in their understanding of the Sixth Commandment. And here it is, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. There's the Sixth Commandment. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Now what Jesus is doing here is he is not adding on to the sixth commandment. He is not saying, God says, you shall not murder, but I am going to add a bunch of stuff to this that hasn't been there before, and here's this extra stuff. Now, Jesus is correcting the Pharisees and the Jews as a whole understanding of the Sixth Commandment. You see, the Pharisees, for example, thought that they had never broken the Sixth Commandment. They thought that all there was to this commandment was you shall not murder. As in, if you've never killed anyone, then you haven't violated any part of this commandment. You've got it. You were good. And Jesus comes to that approach, and he calls him out on it, and he says, hey, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. I say to you, there's more to this commandment. There's more to this. And Jesus goes on to say then, that even hatred toward another person can be a violation of this commandment. Now, he's not saying that hatred and murder are the same thing, as if they both incur the same amount of guilt before God or something like that. He's simply saying that this commandment has layers and he's peeling back the onion, kind of like we've been doing throughout this whole series, looking at the Ten Commandments, whether it was with me on the Fifth Commandment the last couple of weeks or with Grant or Robert on the previous commandments. 
we're peeling back the language of the commandment in order to understand all the different things that it covers and all the different spheres and the things it says explicitly and the things it says implicitly and all of that. And that's what Jesus is doing here, saying there's more to this commandment than just the bare, naked meaning of the words. And so what we want to do then, because we want to be like Jesus, is we want to look at each of these commandments by analyzing the different layers, peeling the onion. We want to find out everything this commandment has to say or anything any of the commandments have to say. So what we want to do as we approach the sixth commandment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try today to look at both the positive injunctions of this commandment, that is what it's encouraging us to do, and the negative injunctions of this commandment, what it's forbidding us from doing. We're going to do both of those things today, if I have time. And then next week, I want to spend the, entire, the entirety of next week looking at what I called last week special issues. And you remember what the special issues are. There are certain ethical situations where it can sometimes be more difficult for us to apply certain commandments. So, for example, for this commandment, you shall not murder. The obvious question comes up, okay, is it ever wrong to take the life of another, or is it ever right to take the life of another human being? Is it ever at least permissible? What about for things like war, or self-defense, or capital punishment, or all kinds of things like that, where it can be like, oh, wait a second, is it are Christians not supposed to be in the military? Are Christians not supposed to defend themselves? How, how does this play out in various situations? And so I, because those questions are so important and because there's a lot of them, I want to spend a whole week looking at those next week and, and see what we can find from the scripture as well as just from thinking about the commandment itself. But for this week, we want to focus on what we are supposed to do with the commandment and what is directly forbidden in the commandment. All right? So let's go back to Exodus 20 verse 13, just so we can have the sixth commandment ready for us. I'm going to write it up on the board here. You shall not murder. Some of your translations may say you shall not kill. And sometimes that can be a, a different little nuance. We'll look at that particular nuance next week when we're talking about some of those special issues. But what we want to do is we want to start with the question, what is this commandment encouraging us to do? What is it commanding us to do? And sometimes that can be a little bit difficult right off the bat than it was last week because the commandment by definition here is a negative command. Right? It's telling us not to do something. So the easiest question to answer is, what is this commandment forbid? But when we're asking the question, what is this commandment commanding us to do positively, what we actually have to do is we have to convert this into a positive command. See that? And we can do that really easily. We can do that with this really handy tool called logic. All right? And I love logic. I was trained in logic in my undergrad. And so we're going to do a little bit of logic this morning. We want to convert this command here into a positive command so that we can find out what it's telling us to do. So let's do the opposite for a second, just so that we can get an idea of what's going on here. Let's uh, give myself a little more room here. We'll fill that in in a second. 
let's take what we were looking at last week, the command we were looking at. You shall honor your father and mother, which I don't have room for, okay? This is a positive command. You see that? It's telling us to do something positively. This one was saying, you shall not murder. That's a negative command. So when we take a command and we want to convert it into its opposite, we can divide a command into two different parts. The first part is called the order, and the second one is called the content. The order is, you shall do X. The content of the command is what you're supposed to do. And in this case, it's honor your father and mother. So this would be a negative command. Or sorry, my bad, this is a positive command. It pause because it's you shall do this, honoring your father and mother. Okay. Now, if we want to convert this into a negative command to find out what it's forbidding, we can do that like this. We simply take each part of the command and make it the opposite. So, for example, you shall, the opposite of you shall would be you shall not. You can see how complicated this is. The opposite of you shall is you shall not, right? So now we've got a negative order. Now we need to take the second part and convert that into its opposite, right? This is just like algebra, because you do this, once you do something to one side, you gotta do it to the other side. Algebra is just logic. So the opposite of dis, or the opposite of honor would be dishonor. So there we've got our content. So we've now converted our positive command into a negative command. You shall not dishonor your father and mother. You see how we can use logic to find out what any command requires of us and what it forbids of us. Okay? And we can do the same thing with any command. If we've got a command that says, you shall bless your neighbor, let me just write that out just to make it clear. You shall bless your neighbor. There we've got our order, and there we've got our content. And this is a positive command. We want to convert it into a negative command to find out what we're forbidden from doing. It becomes you shall not curse your neighbor. Right, there we've got our order and the content. Okay. You can see how logical this is, right? It's very clear. If you're supposed to bless your neighbor, then obviously it would be forbidden for you to curse your neighbor. This is not complicated. This is just very simple logic that we have going on here. So, what we want to do now is we want to take we want to take the commandment we're looking at right now, which is you shall not murder. And this is a negative command. That's the order. That's the content. You shall not murder. Now let's take this and turn it into a positive command. And I'll just do it here. You shall order. 
And then this is where logic becomes less of a science and a little bit more of an art. <laughs> because what we need to do is we need to accurately convert murder into its opposite. Now the opposite of murder, if you were just being plain and simple, you could just say non-murder, okay? But non-murder wouldn't make sense in this context. If you think logically about it, not murdering means you're not taking life. If you're not taking life, then by definition you are preserving life, right? So the opposite of taking life, namely murder, is preserving life. And so that's what we would put here. Preserving life. Oops, in this case, let's not make it part of circle. You shall preserve life. So this is the logically necessary positive command that we can find out using logic when we are given this command, you shall not murder in the Ten Commandments. Okay? So this is the command that we see that thou shalt not murder is telling us to do positively. This is what we're forbidden from doing. This is what we are commanded to do. And our catechism in question 135 uses this definition here of the positive of this commandment and then gives us a whole bunch of different ways that we are required to preserve life. And I, I really like these ways. I'm going to give them to you here because they're really helpful, I think. Number one, this is question 135 if you're writing it down. All This is what we are commanded to do. All careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the lives of others. All careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the lives of others. And that right there is the overall application of this. But then underneath that, there's a whole bunch of other things. And here's what they are. I like these. Uh, one, suppressing all thoughts, passions, and actions that tend toward the taking of life. <clears throat> suppressing all thoughts, passions, and actions that tend toward the taking of life. You know, one of the things that um, you'll find is kind of a pattern in sin is that it doesn't start with the action. Sin starts with sin in here. Right? It starts with sinful thoughts. It starts with sinful thoughts that breed into sinful desires and passions. And pretty soon, if you keep those bottled up and you don't suppress them and you don't take care of them and you don't mortify them and you don't pray to God and the Spirit to help you with them, those passions grow and they can make you do things you never thought were even possible. This is precisely why Jesus, in Matthew 5, the text we just looked at, is saying that in this commandment, hatred can be a violation of it because what you're doing is you are not suppressing passions in you, in me, that can cause us to do things we never thought we could possibly do. So we need to guard our hearts and guard our minds so that we're not welling up evil feelings towards someone that could cause us to do something terrible. And that's often where sin starts, whether we're talking about, you know, murdering or adultery or any other kind of sin. So that's one, suppressing sinful passions. Uh, another one, the just defense against violence or the patient bearing of the hand of God. 
Now notice there there's two options for this one. Either the just defense against violence or patient bearing of the hand of God. In other words, if it's within our power, our lawful power under God to protect someone from violence or stand up against violence, then that is required of us in this commandment. But if it's not within if it's not within our power, if it's not within our lawful right, then we are to patiently wait on the hand of God to take care of the situation. That's pretty general, and sometimes people can disagree on when it is our right and when it's not, but that's a good principle. That we're not just to stand around when violence is happening if it's within our ability to do something about it. Um, Then four, this one's interesting. This one's interesting. I had to think about this one. And this might become as, come as a little surprise when we're studying this commandment, but here's what our catechism also suggests is required in this commandment. You shall not murder, i.e., you shall preserve life. It says this. What is required? A sober use of physical goods, namely food, drink, physique, sleep, labor, recreations. Yeah, see, I see a few of you going like, what? <coughs> Hold on a second. Are you, this is exactly what I was thinking as I was studying for today. I'm reading the catechism and I'm thinking, okay, normally you guys are so on, you Westminster divines. You, you are on with this stuff. But hold on a second. In a commandment that says, thou shalt not murder, you're saying that we break this commandment when we don't soberly use food and drink? How does that apply? I can see that in other places in the Bible we're commanded not to abuse food and drink, but how does that apply to this commandment of all things? And I thought, you know, maybe these guys are reaching a little far here. But then I started to think about it. And I realized, oh, wait a second. This does apply. The sober use of food and drink and sleep and physique and all of these things. And here's how it applies. The Westminster Divines were profoundly logical when they deal with anything in the Catechism or the Confession. And what they did was they saw, they said, okay, you shall not murder. They said murder is the endangering of life. Even potential murder is the endangering of life. And so what they said was that the Sixth Commandment I'm just going to abbreviate the Sixth Commandment as Sixth Com. The Sixth Commandment forbids the endangering the endangering of life. That's their first premise. The Sixth Commandment forbids the endangering of life. I think we can all agree that that's the Sixth Commandment obviously does because it it forbids the taking of life, and the taking of life is certainly a danger to life, so it forbids the dangering of life, right? No, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. And then the Westminster Divines said this, the abuse of physical goods is endangering of life. The abuse of physical goods is endangering of life. What does that mean? 
the abuse of physical goods. A physical good is, in this case, they're talking about food and drink and sleep and labor and so on. And what they mean is this. Too much of a good thing is, becomes a bad thing. Right? McDonald's is very convenient when you're on a road trip. Right? It's fast. It's cheap. But you know what happens if you eat McDonald's every single meal? What do you think happens? I know you're all thinking it. Right? You've Detri- you put your health in absolute detriment, right? There's a guy who tried to eat McDonald's for every single meal. You know what happened? After 30 days, he was in the hospital, almost died. He was perfectly healthy before that. So McDonald's can be a good thing, right, if you don't mind the taste. Right? But too much of it is going to hurt you. It's the same way with any physical good. Any food, drink, not enough sleep, all of those sorts of things those can be a detriment to our health if we are not watching ourselves, right? Not getting enough physical activity is a detriment to our health. It causes tons of problems over decades of, of not doing anything. And so that is endangering our life because we're not taking care of ourselves properly. And so our health gets into jeopardy and then we get into danger. We are endangering our life by perpetual bad decisions and so then because that's that premise right here the abuse of physical goods is endangering of life and so then of course the natural conclusion if you put these two premises together is that the sixth commandment forbids the abuse of physical goods if you think this looks structured, it is. <laughs> this is a logical syllogism right here. It's a triple A dash two syllogism for those of you who care. I don't think anyone does though. <laughs> so this is this is right here. This conclusion you see is an irresistible conclusion by the laws of logic if these two premises are true. And I say they are true, and the Westminster divines think they're true. So therefore, this is true. So here's what's kind of wacky about this. We're studying a commandment that says you shall not kill. You shall not murder. But now we're talking about dieting. <laughs> you know, you, you can see how broad these commandments are sometimes. They cover so much ground. There's so many layers and, and just so many things to think about. I'll just give you a personal example of this. Uh, about a number of months ago, about five months ago, I was uh, convicted about my lifestyle of eating and working out, or rather lack thereof. And I decided, I said, you know what, this is not good. I'm entering into a profession, namely the ministry, where I'm not going to have the opportunity for physical activity, where it's going to be really easy to eat trash all the time. And I got to do something about this. And so I decided I was going to completely overnight change my diet and start working out. And so far, I've kept it up. And I'm actually 15 pounds heavier now than I was five months ago because I've put on a lot of muscle in doing all of that. But what I'm getting at is that that was a really hard thing to do, if you can imagine, doing all of that overnight, going from eating chicken nuggets and french fries for every meal to now eating you know, rice and chicken and broccoli. It's like, what? It's an absolute radical change. But it can be done. It can be done. 
And I think it's something that's required in this commandment. At least our catechism says it is. You can disagree if you think it's reaching. But I think by logical necessity it follows. And it's something definitely that we ought to think about. All right, I'll stop being Rick Warren for a minute and we'll keep going here. So this is the positive aspects of the commandment, you shall not kill. You shall preserve life. And there's lots of ways that we preserve life. Preserving our own life through this, preserving the lives of others by using lawful endeavors in order to reduce violence and to protect people. Now, what we want to do is we want to look a little bit at uh, the negative injunctions of this commandment. What is forbidden? And that's question 136 of our catechism. And there's a list here that I've got, and I'll just go through them really quickly. One, taking our own life or the lives of others. Now, I think that is rather clear that that's forbidden in a commandment that says you shall not murder, right? It says you shall not murder yourself or others. And none of us need to be told that, right? We know that that is what God commands. We know that that's the law of the United States of America. You're not allowed to murder. That's a good law. However, we find in the catechism, it says, you shall not take the life of yourself or of others except three situations. Catechism lists three exceptions, if you will, or three different situations where you can take the life of someone, where a Christian is permitted to do that without violating God's law. And here are the three exceptions. I'm, I'm, this is not me. I'm not making this up. This is the catechism. There are three situations here. Here's the first one. Public justice. Second one, we'll go through these in a second. Lawful war. And thirdly, necessary defense. Necessary defense. So what, what are they talking about here? Public justice. This has to do with the government's right to execute high criminals. All right? That's what public justice means. So the catechism recognizes that capital punishment is allowed in Christian theology for governments to use against top criminals. Now, we will look at this more in depth next week. We're going to look at all three of these next week much more in depth because they're very important. But I'm just overviewing right now, telling you what to prepare for. So that's the first instance. Second instance, lawful war. I'm sure many of you have heard of just war theory, right? This is the theory of when it is permissible for a Christian to be in war, to be in a military, to fight, to defend a nation, or even to, a pre to attack an aggressor before the aggressor is powerful enough to attack another nation. That's a whole other issue altogether. So that our catechism recognizes as an exception to you shall not murder. And number three is necessary defense or we would call it today self-defense right? someone breaks into your house and is threatening to kill wife and children 
is it permissible to take out the guy? That's the question. Self-defense, both of yourself, but in this case, it's necessary defense, so it could be yourself or it could be other innocent people whom you happen to be able to protect. In my example that I just gave, that's your own family. Maybe another case, it could be walking down the street and passing by a dark alley and you see somebody whose life is in jeopardy, some you know, a knife to their throat or something. Was that a situation where necessary defense would allow you to take the life of that person if you have to in that situation? You see, these are some dicey questions right here, aren't they? Or maybe not. Maybe you are absolutely dead set in what you think about this. But we're going to look at all three of these next week. We're not going to take the time right now. But this is why I wanted to look at the positives and the negatives of the commandment this morning. Because that leaves room for an entire session next week to look at the biblical categories for all three of these and how we answer the question as Bible-believing Christians. Okay? So, what is forbidden? Murdering ourselves or anybody else unless it's in these three categories. That's what the catechism is put, putting forward, and we'll talk about it next week. Uh, second, neglecting lawful and necessary means of preserving life. Now, when, he, when the catechism says life, we're talking about human life. Right now, okay, we're not talking about the whales or anything like that. This is human life. That's a whole. That's a different category. We're not talking about animals or those sorts of things. Neglecting lawful and necessary means of preserving life. Now, notice here it doesn't say neglecting the duty of preserving life no matter what. This is lawful and necessary means. Now, just to give you an example of this. We think of one of the, it gets me a little sad to say it, but we think of one of the worst murdering crises that we have in America today and in the world everywhere where millions and millions of human beings are being killed. It's not war. It's not starvation. It's this thing called abortion, right? Abortion. Abortion is violating this commandment. If, and I'm sure we're all in agreement here. I don't suspect there'd be much difference. But abortion is, of course, in biblical categories, taking the life of a human being. And that's a great sin, right? There's no, there's no ambiguity. This is a violation of this commandment. But here's the thing. As Christians, what is our responsibility in response to what's going on? That's a question that a lot of Christians have dealt with and are continuing to deal with. Are we required as Christians to stand up and do something? Our catechism says yes, but we need to be careful to recognize it says that our duty is to be lawful in how we stand up to this. So if we as Christians are going and bombing abortion clinics and hiring hitmen to take out the abortion doctors... Okay, that's not lawful, right? That, that's not right. I think we can all agree with that. But there are things we can do, right? And I particularly like this lawful and necessary means of preserving life because I think that the lawfulness here is both talking about God's law and the civil magistrate's law. That is, what can we do within the confines of our human government to make 
changes to enact something to help preserve life, to reduce the number of abortions, if nothing else, right? And so that, and as, as American citizens, right, our greatest weapon against this heinous act of killing countless children is the voting booth, right? And praise God, there have been a lot of good laws passed recently in a lot of states um, to reduce the number of abortions, but we still got a major problem. And by and large, things are getting better, I think, as I watch, but we still got a lot of work to do. And our catechism seems to suggest that it is our duty within the law to do what we can to preserve life. Because that is uh, what is required in this commandment. So what is forbidden is to neglect lawful and necessary means of preserving life. Okay, so that's the second one. Thirdly, sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire for revenge, and other excessive passions. This, of course, is the opposite of the positives, right? The positives were saying we need to suppress those. Right? This one's saying we need to not have those. We, need, we are forbidden from having anger and hatred and envy towards someone. And this is because, as I said before, you all know this, I'm sure, from experience, or at least from hearing it in a sermon at some point, sin starts in the heart. Right? We look at people out in the world who have done heinous, crazy sin, mass murders and whatever else, and we think, boy, I can never imagine ever doing that. How could a human being do that? Well, it didn't start with the action. It started with, in here, anger, hatred, envy, all, all kinds of different things. And so we are required in this command, or we are forbidden in this commandment from having sinful anger, hatred, and desire for other people. Because while sometimes this does stay inside and nothing ever comes of it, it's still hurting us, and it could become something more. So we've got to watch that. By the way, this will come in very important when we study the commandment on adultery. Because adultery doesn't happen overnight either. It starts in here. And over time, it grows and grows. So that's a warning to all of us. Um, second to last, provoking words. That is words meant to stir up hatred in other people. Right? So we're not allowed in this commandment to have hatred in our own hearts, per Jesus' words in Matthew 5, but we're also not to provoke anger in other people. Because that's not only causing us to break the commandment, but it's also causing someone else to sin. So we don't want to do that. And then the last one, and I think this one's pretty good. Whatsoever else tends to the destruction of life. So basically they said, anything else you can think of that falls into this category. Anything else that leads to the destruction of life, particularly human life in, in the context here. Okay, so those are the positives and the negatives of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. Now, just because we have a little bit of time, just a couple minutes left, one of the things I want to do just as we're setting up for next week is let's take a look at this commandment, you shall not murder. And I want to point out something. You see this word murder right here. This is um, 
the translation I'm using is called ESV. I'm sure many of you are using that. Other of you are probably using something else, maybe King James or NASB or NIV or something like that. Some translations, when they render this commandment into English in your Bibles, will take this word in the Hebrew and render it, you shall not kill. Okay? Now, I don't think... There's not a hu- I don't have a huge problem with rendering it thou shalt not kill versus thou shalt not murder. But we need to recognize that there's a difference between killing and murdering. It's a fine logical distinction between the two. Killing is simply the taking of life. Just generally. That's just what it means, the taking of life. Murder is a specific kind of taking of life. And that is the premeditated, unjust taking of life. Yes. Of innocent life. Yes, of innocent life. Exactly right. Thank you. Of innocent life. Right. But if it's unjust, then by of course it would be innocent. So yeah. But very good. Just to recognize that innocent life. Okay. Now, if a murderer goes into a school right and takes the lives of innocent children, like this happening all over America right now. That is murder. Those kids are innocent. They don't deserve that. Well, I mean, they do under the justice of God, but not from the killer, of course. So that's another important distinction. So that's murder, right? Murder because the person who did the murdering doesn't have the right to do it. It's unjust for that reason. But if a capital criminal who is worthy of death assuming he's worthy of death, is to be executed by the government, assuming the government has the right, then that would not be murder. Right? That would be killing, but it would not be murder. So the distinction between murder and killing is important, and that's why I like the translation murder in the uh, Bible better than kill, because it makes that distinction. All right? And we'll talk more about this next week. Because when we look at these things, we're going to, just get showing my cards here, we're going to defend, at least I'm going to defend our catechism in these three realms and show that it's not just because I like it better, right, or because I like the catechism better than something else. It's because I believe the Bible gives defense for how these are right in Christian theology and how these are not violations of the commandment, thou shalt not murder, specifically because of what murder is, and specifically because of what rights God gives to the various realms of authority here. Okay? So we'll look at that next week. We're out of time now. There's a lot of stuff here, isn't there? This is a complicated commandment, and I found it a little bit difficult to teach on, to be quite honest. But uh, I hope that this week and next week will help you understand it better. And... I think it's also important, just as we close here, to remember, (laughs) because there's so much in this commandment, it can cause us to feel crushed and feel the weight of, uh, oh, wait a second, I haven't haven't lived up to these standards, and I haven't in all kinds of ways, and still don't. I I still can't get it perfect. None of us can, right? And it's important just for me to emphasize, as I'll continue to emphasize throughout this whole series, is that... When we are weighted down by the law, crushing us, showing us what we can't do, 
we have to always turn back to the gospel and remember what Jesus says he did do for us. Namely, he did keep all these laws perfectly and took our punishment, gave us his righteousness. I'm going to keep bringing us back to that because we do, we seek to do these commandments and seek to understand them as purely as we can, not because it will save us to do them rightly, not because it'll earn favor with God in some special way, but because we want to do it out of a joyful response to what God has done for us and because we want to be more like his son and continue to be sanctified by his spirit, okay? Let's just always remember the gospel and keep that at the forefront here. So let's pray and close. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, your law. We thank you for it for two reasons. One, we thank you for it because it shows us who we are. It shows us that we are sinners and how much we desperately need you. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to study these commandments, Lord, that you would change us. And you would change us by, by showing us our sin, drawing us to your gospel, and you would change us also by, by bringing in us a joyful response to what you've done so that we want to follow these commandments, that we find joy in seeking to understand what you require of us so that we can better serve you. Not so we can be saved, but simply because you want us to do it and because we want to be like your son. Lord, pray that you would bring that about in each one of us and that you'd prepare us to hear the preaching of your word later this morning. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.